Um, I've been talking lately in Wisconsin and here during the week about some of the Eightfold Path. And uh, they're very similar. The Eightfold Path is very similar to the Bodhisattva vows. A lot of we're talking about a lot of qualities. So for all of you contemplating the Bodhisattva vows, it's kind of the same. We're talking about the same things. But uh, the one I've, I've talked about, uh, concentration, the, other, the next quality that really comes up for me, and it has a lot lately, and I think it's very important, is right intention or you can say right motivation. And I think that's, we, that's one of those things we need to get pretty clear about before any of the rest even starts to make sense. So in the Eightfold Path that the Buddha talked about, the Eightfold Path is the way out of suffering. And it's what he came, that's what his, what he said his kind of mission was, was to teach people about suffering and the end of suffering and the way out of suffering. And the Eightfold Path is the way that he taught was the way out of suffering. So in any Buddhist tradition, that's the, that is always the same. It's always the crux of everything. So in the Eightfold Path, we break it down into three pieces. And I always think of it as three legs to a little stool, a three-legged stool. And you have to have each leg to find balance. You can't, if you focus too much on one, you lose the balance of the whole path. So that includes our meditation practice, which is concentration, mindfulness, and effort. And then right view, and I apologize for using the word right, because I don't like to, it's not right versus wrong. The better translation might be appropriate, or uh, yeah, appropriate's a good word. So I, I'll slip back into saying right. Um, so appropriate view and appropriate um, motivation or intention, and that's what we consider the part of. Uh, that's the wisdom, the panya, that leg of the stool. And then the other. I did, did I do samadhi? So concentration, effort, mindfulness, that's our meditation part. And wisdom, uh, right view and right motivation. And then sila, or our ethical behavior, would include uh, right livelihood, right action, and right speech. So that's an easy way to break the eightfold path into three pieces. And that's what you need for your little stool to be balanced. So right intention, right motivation is right there along with um, uh, appropriate view. And the, and the view that we talk about in the Buddhist path is that teaching that the Buddha said he came to help us understand was the view of there is suffering, there is a cause for suffering, there's a way out of suffering, and he came to teach us the techniques, the path for getting out of suffering. Um, right motivation is what, what moves us. Our, our motivation, our intention, is what's, what's pushing us, what we're, what we're either being pushed towards or what we're being pushed away from, or what moves us in a certain direction. And uh, I, I was just listening to a a little tape by Joan Borzensky, 
and she has a really nice way of helping helping you see that. So she she asks that you sit and just breathe from your belly for a minute. From that from and we're always used to breathing and watching our you know, watching up here. So now just sit and shift to watching your belly breathe. And just allow yourself to take a few deep breaths in and out. Now when you're breathing out, or inhaling, I'm sorry, let me I don't want to get it mixed up. When you're inhaling, your belly's going out. So when we're inhaling, we are looking at the intentions of what we want to move to. Our belly's kind of lifting out, moving out. We're inhaling and we're filling ourselves with those things that we're moving towards. And when we exhale, these are the things that we are wanting to have drop away from us, the things that we want to move away from. But it's a very gentle, we're letting those things be the things that are falling away. And our, our breathing in, these are the things that we want to move towards. And I like the, it's our breathing is effortless, right? It's, we're going to breathe one way or the other. So uh, whether we whether we set our intentions or our motivation, we we are moving towards things and we are moving away from other things. Uh, what we want to do is be more intentional and be more aware of what we are moving towards and what we're dropping away. And what the Buddha was teaching us was we have to. Our, our intentions need to be moving towards certain things. And I think for us, it's, a, it's good to get clear about what they are. And I also recognize that at each stage of our life, it's going to feel like very different things, depending on where we are in just our, the stages of our life. So it can be easier for me to talk, and I've also decided to be a nun, right? So easier for me to talk about renunciation, because that's... Uh, I'm older, and I've also chosen a, a lifestyle that talks a lot about renunciation. If when I was 30, that was not the way I was looking at the world at all, <laughs> then it was like more, more, more. Renunciation is, yeah, I would have really had to think very deeply. So if you're a young person, I really have so much respect for your ability to even be able to uh, hear these teachings and know the teachings of the Buddha and, and get it. Because uh, some of them, when you're, when you're young, it's very, hard to, it's very hard to get through it. So, one of the things the Buddha talks about with intention is to think about the things that we, that we can let naturally drop away from our lives, drop away. And as we move towards the things that we choose to move towards, it's like moving towards the light, you know. Um, those things will naturally drop away, but we're talking about moving towards more non-harming in the world. So we're moving towards being more conscious and aware of 
uh, dropping behaviors that are harmful. That can be just in our speech. So just to think about uh, for one day, and this was in the same uh, talk I listened to with Joan Borzynski, if you think for one day that the only words that will come out of your mouth will make another person happier, whoever you speak to, whatever you say, will only make that person happier. She actually said, will make that person be filled with bliss. And anything else is not, is not important for you to even say. Well, think how different the rest of our days, our day would be. We'd either be completely silent, <laughs> depending on who we're going to be around, or we would be so careful about everything we said, and it would not just be a, a flattery, but something that would actually make the person we're speaking to feel blissful, to feel happy. So try that. Maybe just try it for an hour. But think about that. And now that is clearly setting your intention to move more and more towards harmlessness and letting anything harmful that you might do in your actions, in your speech, uh, in, in, the, in, in your work, everything you do is, is moving towards harmlessness. And, you know, we talked a month or so ago about the little kids, how I was saying how they all had strategies how not to kill little bugs in the house, and they knew ways to, you know, be kind to the bug, but get it out of the house or, uh, and not take it too far away from its family. Those children were already learning how to move more and more towards harmlessness. It wasn't enough just to say, well, don't kill bugs or don't step on bugs on purpose. They were really working at, you know, let's, let's, not, let's be as careful with that bug as we can be, not even separate it from its family too much. So they, they're getting it already. And that's, that's one of the things that the Buddha talked about in terms of intention. He also talked about the intention of moving towards renunciation. And renunciation is just letting those uh, material concerns, worldly concerns, just begin to drop away gradually. That doesn't mean we have to become hermits. Uh, even as a monastic, I know it, it, it doesn't mean giving up material concerns and worldly things because it's real easy to hang on to that stuff. Um, I'm reading some, I, I've, I've become hooked on some uh, e-books about uh, monastic mysteries. <laughs> I'll tell, if you want to know the names, they're really good books. So there's one series I'm reading and it's about uh, a police officer in Thailand, a Thai police officer, whose wife and son were killed um, and he becomes a monk. And so he's been a monk for several years, for eight or nine years, and now Someone is, there's a murder at his big temple in Bangkok. So he's called in to help solve the mystery and this starts these, the series of these books. And he's, uh, he, he's, he's very eloquent talking about what life is like in the monastery. And it's very clear, you know, the monks give up their, they give up so much and they only, they all have little cooties that they live in and they have maybe one extra robe 
and they were flip-flops, and they might have uh, they might have a couple of books in their little room. But he's very aware of how the different monks all have their little things that they cling to, and some may cling to um, their 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 being scholars. Some may cling to a, a hobby that they had developed. That like one monk collects um, medals. Buddha medals that are made by different temples, and he's obsessed with it. So if you go in his kuti, you find all his magazines that are about these little medals of the Buddha, and they're all about how much they're worth and who carved them and what kind of wood they're from. And so they all have their little secret pleasures. Some in the office are, are totally wrapped up in the computers, and so they work in the office so they can get, to get into their te techno stuff and a lot of the younger monks are playing video games and things. So, so he's, he's, uh, they, they have their special foods too. If they leave the temple, there's a certain noodle shop, you know, that they, they'll all have a certain restaurant if they have to leave the grounds that they make sure that they're there and get that, uh, that certain bowl of noodles. So uh, he's, always feeling, he's always feeling like he needs to, there needs to be more letting go, letting go. So renunciation for all of us is just that awareness that there are a lot of worldly, material things that we, that we can let go of. And the, the reason I became really focused on intention lately is because I'm, I'm moving to a very, to a much, much smaller place. It's another step in renunciation for me. And uh, I, got, I was getting overwhelmed with, okay, what do I let go of and what do I take? And, uh, and then when I, sat with, when I sat with this idea of intention, and I sat with it with several times sitting and uh, letting that be the focus of my meditation practice, I, I became very clear, okay, I say I have 20, 20 years, probably less, of my life left. And what is my intention for the rest of that life? And what is it that I want to move towards? It became very easy in a couple of days to just, to know exactly what I was letting go of, what I was giving away, what I, what I didn't need anymore. And it was, the, it was a wonderful feeling. It felt very liberating. And it made all the decisions suddenly become much more simple. So I think at whatever age we are, I mean, I'm lucky I don't have that much more of my life left, left right? So if you're in your 20s, you've got, I mean, I'm, I'm not unhappy with that, but you know, there's a reality here. <laughs> when, you're, when you're in your 60s, you don't have as much time as you do in your 20s. So if you're in your 20s, you can say, well, that's easy for her to think about intention for the rest of her life. But I'm 20, I have 60 years left. But we're always working with that. We always need to be looking at our intentions, our motivation. And even when we're young, and it might be career, family, education, uh, seeing the world, traveling everywhere, doing everything, we can still have our spiritual intention and our motivation that can stay, that can keep us on track. So we can, all those other things are possible but we also have that intention and motivation in our spiritual lives that can keep all that other stuff balanced for us.
and not let it get out of control. So for me, it's easy thinking about stuff and it's easy thinking about uh, what, what I, how I want to spend my time and what, who are the people I want to be with. Uh, and if, if I was younger, it, hopefully if I was doing this at a younger age, I could think about all those things I want to do with my life, but use this, this uh, part of the Eightfold Path of Intention to help me do it maybe in a more balanced way than I did it, because I definitely, I was all over the place with this when I was younger. So we're looking at moving towards harmlessness, and we're looking at moving towards renunciation, whatever form that takes for us. Uh, there's probably, we can probably all bring to mind things that we might be ready to let go of. We want to look at uh, looking at more simplicity in our lives and clarity in our lives. And uh, it, it also means looking at the people we're involved with and who we keep company with and looking at all those aspects of our lives. You can probably think of other things that come along with uh, appropriate motivation and intention if anybody wants to share that. What have you found for yourself that's connected with right intention? <coughs> yeah. Well, I uh, <coughs> took and I flipped my, my covers back from my bed the other day, and this black spider came running across my bed. I mean, everybody's seen me. She's been rolling, man. They're so fast. I can't. They got these little tiny legs, but they just move. They <laughs> 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 yeah. have eight of them. Yeah. yeah. And so I jumped out of the way and ran across the rug and, and hid. So uh, I felt kind of uneasy for the next couple of nights sleeping. <laughs> so anyways, I, I go in my room and here, one day, he's, he's sitting on the wall and it's, and it's not moving. You know, then I remember, you know, I've been into Buddhism. The easy thing to do is to squash him, you know, but uh, I decided not to because of intention. So I ran out, I got a peanut butter jar and I put it over. <laughs> so uh, I said, honey, honey, quick, get me uh, an index card. So I got an index card. He slid it in there, nobody. <laughs> I'm sweating because this thing happened to me. kids out of here and broke my arm. And <laughs> so, anyways, I get him. I finally got him in there you know, and uh, carried him outside and let him go. I kind of threw the jaw like a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> But I saved his life, I feel. Uh, the, point, the point is this, is that um, uh, it's kind of ironic, I think, that because I had a good intention, my goal uh, had an obstacle, which, uh, of course, was uh, you know, trying to save the spider's life. And because of this obstacle, um, I suffered. So I think, you know, we desire these goals, these intentional goals, but ironically, we even though Buddha said um, he wants to move away from suffering, a lot of these intentions will create some suffering, don't you think? Well, we're, we're, hit, we're running into the, you call it an obstacle, but we're running into the focus of that intention, right? If, if, you, didn't, if you never encountered a, a spider that you didn't want to, you know, if you never encountered that spider, you'd never even have to have the motivation to do no harm. 
mean, if there was never anything that would create a dilemma for you, you wouldn't need that, you wouldn't need that, uh, that precept, right? Yeah, but you always need these situations. Right, right. So you do need precept. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's the nature of, it's the nature of life, right? If we're moving, if we want to move to our, towards harmlessness, we're assuming that our, maybe our uh, innate nature might be to just harm things. I mean, look at human beings. We, our nature is to, we want something, we tear down whatever is there. We, we kill whatever's in our way. So if, if that's our, if that's the innate thing that we've, that's moved civilization, then it's difficult to change. Now you might have a little bit more extreme fear of spiders than some people do, but <laughs> you know whatever that is. If you were, uh, you know, in my uh, I, people in Wisconsin love hunting and fishing. So if someone decided they would not hunt or fish to pursue uh, non-harming, that's that's very hard. And I know a lot of people who don't harm anything else, but they, they wouldn't give up fishing. That's, they've been fishing all their lives. It's peaceful, it's, so you know, it's, um, the challenge is, is when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when the spider's in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, uh, Tony, I, I was thinking that, um, you know, it's funny how we rate, we rate like creatures like, you know, in our house we have all these um, uh, black cellular bugs, and they're cute and they don't do anything, you know, so they can crawl up your legs and all that. Obviously, they don't they bite. But, you know, uh, the difference between that and, say, some spider or a mosquito or something, and it's so much easier to let, like, a cute little bug go than <laughs> it something that could actually sting you. <laughs> and also, when I was thinking, when you talked about the attachment with the monks, it's kind of like, um, you know how we can we can rate our attachments like oh my gosh I'm not that attached to that many material things but my, my own ideas and my beliefs and all that I'm so attached to that uh, you know, yeah that's really the best thing to be thinking about what are, what ideas what uh, thoughts are we attached to what preferences are we attached to you know what what aversions are we attached to like, I'll let go of everything else, and I don't need this, and I don't need that, but I still have a certain belief or attachment to a, a prejudice uh, that, I, that I'm going to stick to. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I think somebody did a research study on that. Actually, the professor on, on the evolution kind of for different species, that they were cuteness actually kept them going more. <laughs> exactly. That's why puppies are so cute, right? That's why babies are so cute. They've done all the studies about the, their eyes and how, how big their eyes are, how wide set they are, and the cuter, the cuter they look, the, then somebody will take care of them. So don't... versus rats. I mean, it's interesting. You don't want to be an ugly baby, and you don't, <laughs> and you don't want to be an ugly puppy. <laughs> You might not make it in this world, yeah. Uh, and and it's easier. That's why a lot of people who are who 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 will say they're vegetarian, but they eat fish, because <laughs> the fish is less 
you know, it's, and, and I don't, and I'm not espousing vegetarianism or veganism or anything, okay? I, and I do, I eat meat, so um, that's, that's, there's definitely nothing, but you know, there are a lot of times when if the animal's very cute and closer to being like us, then we, we don't want to eat it, but if it's like a fish in the ocean or something, then it's okay to eat it. So that's kind of clinging to a view, right? If it's a living being, it's a living being. So there are so many wonderful things we can look at in our own minds when we talk about intention and renunciation. So, yeah, thank you so much. I, I should have mentioned that first off. Okay. So look at your look at your speech. That'll be a good way to think about intention. Only be only bring bliss to people that you speak to today. And uh, look at your own intentions. Just look at them very in a very relaxed. Uh, what you want to breathe in and what you are going to breathe out and let go of. Thank you.